The following audio is from The Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing good today. I wanna to start in prayer. There's just a lot of different things going on, um, different people within the church going through some tough stuff. So I wanna to pray together if we could. Uh, so let's go ahead and bow our heads. Lord, today, in the midst of all of the different things that um, we've become aware of, Lord, there's just some heavy burdens from health stuff and COVID-related actually stuff and people needing really some breakthrough and some uh, recovery, um, as well as God, just medical conditions and uh, some kids stuff going on, just some health stuff with some kids. And we just pray for your hands. We pray for your covering. We pray for strength. And I'm so grateful that, that the God that we serve and that we look at in scripture over and over is one that, Lord, you care. And, and, and you say, hey, bring this stuff to me. So we pray together for your hand. We pray for some supernatural breakthroughs. We pray for better and better information or news about some health stuff. And God, for all of the other things represented, Lord, in this room or even, Lord, online right now, uh, people that are watching, that God, you would minister amazingly. God, where people need provision, where people need restoration, where people need um, to come to a place of forgiveness, where people need, uh, Lord, health stuff, whatever it might be, God, we pray that you would do some amazing work. And I also pray that in the midst of what you do, that we would find ourselves in a place of asking you, of, of uh, that picture I really love, that you are our strong tower. You are the shelter that we run to in the midst of the storm, God. Let that be true in every one of our hearts, in every one of our lives, and in the confession of every one of our mouths. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for praying. Also wanna mention that as we pray for certain things on, on any random Sunday, if you happen to keep a prayer list, we would love for you to pray with us about those things. And um, of course, if you ever want updates, you can ask, you can fill out that comment or connect card and ask about stuff. But um, I, I, I do try to keep a prayer list ongoing. I do keep a prayer list ongoing and I write things on there and sometimes there's answers and I'm done praying for those things and there's new things. But um, just something, maybe a habit to consider. And then another habit, just real quick here, a little bonus message, so you're welcome. But um, I always mention, you know, we talk about scripture and opening your Bible, and if you have an app, that's great. But if you have a Bible, encourage you to bring it um, and, and, and go th kind of thumb through the pages to get familiar with where things are at. But also being a note taker, and maybe it's even on your phone on a little notes app or something, but be a note taker. One of the habits that I got into years and years ago as, as kind of a young believer was taking notes on a Sunday, and I would carve out about 15 minutes during the week somewhere and just go over my notes. I would look up the scriptures and, and kind of ponder some of the things about about you know, kind of my own life and, and those verses. And so just something to consider as you consider you know, looking at who you're becoming and what God is wanting to do in your life. We're gonna be in Luke chapter nine today. If you do have a Bible with you, if you've got a smartphone with a Bible app, um, you guys can, can jump on and, and look at Luke chapter nine. Last week was an overview of a series that we're calling Discipleship. And, and the heart of this series really is that the concern that, that in, in some ways feels almost like everywhere, all over the place. But, but I just, for me as a pastor and some of us as, as sort of kind of key leaders, um, the heart of concern that many individuals that say they're, they're Christians, or we say, kind of say followers of Christ, that it's, and I mentioned this last week, is in the social media sense, that we can kind of scroll through something that Jesus has to say, we can like it or even comment on it um, uh, kind of symbolically, but, but nothing changes about how we live. And yet, as disciples, there, there's a, a greater calling that we have and, and a challenge that we wanna bring. So throughout this series, um, my hope is that we all, and I don't mean you, I mean all of us, we feel together the tension of challenging ourselves about how we're living, about what we're believing, as well as how that impacts our behavior kind of throughout 
the weeks. So we'll be Luke chapter nine. And I mentioned how last week when Jesus said, go make disciples, um, he was talking to the disciples. And that word there is the word mathetes. And, and it's a Greek word that comes also from the word mathematics or math. And it's that whole idea of you know the, the, the mental effort needed to think something through. So thinking about what you hear, for instance, like this, or when you're reading scripture yourselves, thinking through what it means and how it applies to the way we live our lives, and that's kind of the, the foundation of the series. Are we thinking through who we're becoming? Are we looking at our lives through the lens of what we say, I'm a Jesus follower, I'm a Christian, and, and how that impacts our behavior all the time? Do we consider ourselves disciples, or do we consider ourselves maybe just part of the crowd that basically wanted good things? They wanted to see healings, they could use some bread, some fish, some meals, you know, they wanted some good stuff. And in a lot of ways, um, the, the depth of our faith sometimes can simply be, you know, I want good things, almost like I want good luck, you know, cross my fingers, good luck. I want good things. I want a good parking spot. I want a good answer to the medical question. When I go visit the doctor, you know, I want a good price on the car I'm gonna buy so God guide me to the right, you know, whatever. Um, but it doesn't necessarily go deeper than that. And yet, when we look at what Jesus has to say and we look throughout scripture, the challenge is much, much deeper than that. So Luke 9 is what we're going to navigate, and it's going to start here today at verse 23. It says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their lives will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self or soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So I wanna take this verses 23 through 26 of Luke 9 and, and jumping in at 23, Jesus says to the disciples, and many of us in here, even as I look around, would, would give ourselves that title, I'm a disciple, I'm a follower of Christ, I am a, a Christian. And so Jesus would be talking to you just like he's talking to the disciples way back when. And he starts out with whoever wants to be my disciple, again, if that's us, great, there's that word again, must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. So Jesus is saying, it's this idea of you and I struggle with, you and I wrestle with what we would call sin or the flesh regularly. And, and it's not an unfamiliar battle that's waged. We'll talk a little bit more about it as we get to Paul here in a few moments. But this idea of the flesh is this idea that there's a battle going on between what I want and the design that God has for my life. There's things I wanna do. There's things I wanna get away with. There's ways that I'm tempted that Jesus would say, deny those things, lay down those things, fight against and walk away from those things. So sin, flesh, worldly patterns. Deny yourselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Quick question, was this before Jesus was crucified or after? Before. So when Jesus says cross here, it's something you should hone in on because he's not talking the cross of the Messiah. We often hear the word cross or the idea of the cross and we think of the cross and we go back to Easter, Good Friday, the cross, you know, it's empty, the tomb's empty. That's not specifically what Jesus is talking about. When you look at what Jesus is saying, you've got to remember in context, we're talking about the Roman Empire in Jesus' day. The Roman Empire was notorious for figuring out ways to torture people that came against who they were. 
And so they had all of these different ways that you could be tortured. There was impalement and, you know, being lit on fire. And, you know, there's all kinds of history that talks about how the path towards Rome at times was lit with people that were impaled and lit on fire in order to make your way into the city of Rome. Horrible, horrible things happen. So when Jesus brings up this idea of the cross, it wasn't this idea of the Messiah's cross, although obviously terrible and horrible, but Rome had figured out one of the best ways to torture people, in other words, cause them to live longer and suffer more, is by putting them on a cross. And if you look at or you study the details of crucifixion, you'll learn all kinds of horrible things about how bad it was, but part of it is they're suffocating because their body's being pinched together because they can't hold themselves up, and they're, they're sinking, and they're literally dying by either you know blood and, and, and drowning from the blood, or they're just dying because they're suffocating themselves they realize it's a horrible way to die. Sound good so far? So Jesus, deny yourself, take up your cross, and in their context, it would have been this picture of suffering. Take up your cross, and he says, daily, and follow me. And then he says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. And over and over as Jesus is teaching, he'll use plays on words or he'll flip things around to help us understand. And what he's talking about is this idea of the life we live, we're called to live if we're disciples in Christ. It goes right along with what he's already said. But, but he brings this comparison of, look, if you wanna save your life, if you wanna protect yourself and get away with your own patterns and do the things you shouldn't be doing, you're gonna lose your life in the end. And what he means in particular is, the idea of separation from God in eternity. If you wanna live selfishly, live your own way, you're sowing your own issues and you're gonna have a problem in eternity. But if you're willing to lay down your own lives, if you're willing to lay down the flesh, if you're willing to, to sacrifice yourself on account of me, then you'll save your life. You'll in turn end up in eternity connected with God, connected with Christ, um, as Paul would say later, face to face. And so at first glance, this brings us to understand something very important, laying down our own agenda to surrender to God's agenda. And that, that's, that's correct. But what I wanna do for a few moments is take you to some of the verses that come before this because they're all together in a grouping in Luke chapter nine. It adds to us understanding what's going on here. So in Luke nine eighteen, this is all the same story. So, so watch this. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. Then Jesus said, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you're God's Messiah. Verse 21, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone this. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So let, let me give you the whole picture. The first part of, of this text comes with this conversation about who do people say that I am? And it's one of the most important questions you could ever ask yourself. Who is Jesus really? And so Jesus brings it up to the disciples of that day. Who do people say that I am? Well, people say this, people say that, but, but then he says, who do you, and there's that question, who do you say that I am? And Peter is the first one to jump in and he says, you are the Christ, you are God's Messiah. And, and Jesus 
Jesus' response is that that's correct. Now, the first part of this text that I'm talking about right now is this, the revelation of Jesus' true identity. Jesus wasn't just a great teacher. Jesus wasn't just a guy that could perform miracles. Jesus wasn't just a good man who had good things to say and the crowd was like, hey, that's pretty cool. No, no, no. Peter declares it and Jesus affirms it. You are the Messiah we've been waiting for. And Jesus is saying that's exactly right. So the first part of it is this, the revelation of Jesus' true identity. The second part, it says Jesus strictly warned them, don't tell anyone this. It was the, the whole idea there, well, why would that be? Because his time hadn't yet come to, to deal with the, the persecution, the cross, all that stuff. That was coming a bit later. So he says, don't tell anyone. But he said, the son of man must suffer. He, he brings up many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests. And then he says, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Why does he say that? The first part is the identification of Jesus as Messiah. But you've got to remember, let's go back to the Old Testament, the time before Jesus. And if you look at what the prophets had to say, they said over and over, there's a Messiah that's coming. There's a Messiah that's coming. The Messiah is going to be the Savior. The Messiah is going to be the Redeemer. The Messiah is going to be the one who, who gets us out of all the persecution we're facing. The Messiah is on his way. And so they were waiting for a Messiah, but remember their interpretation of the Messiah was that he would come as a, as a king and he would redeem Israel from all the oppression they faced. So it's the idea of the Messiah coming as a conquering king. And so Jesus gets more specific about, you're right that I'm the Messiah and you need to understand more fully. I'm not showing up this time as a conquering king. I'm coming, as Isaiah said, as a suffering servant so that they would identify that. So Jesus says, Peter, you're right. I'm the Messiah, and the Messiah is going to suffer. So the true identity, and then the true journey, and now, so, so let me just read it this way. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said to them, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple. See, see how that goes together? Jesus, in progression, Jesus reveals his true identity. Jesus reveals the true mission of the Messiah. And then he says, and if you want to be a follower of me, then guess what? You're going to be committed to the same thing. We oftentimes look at our lives and go, Jesus paid the price for suffering, so I never have to suffer. Jesus took care of all the persecution, so I'm never gonna be persecuted. But that's not a biblical understanding of what it means to be a real disciple. It's pretty quiet in here. I know it's not super thinking, hey, celebrate discipleship here today. But, but that's kind of the idea that Jesus is getting at. And, and now let me take you to a guy in the New Testament named Saul. And Saul was raised as a Pharisee, okay, part of the teachers of the law idea. Saul was raised as a Pharisee. He was one who excelled in understanding the history of the Jewish religion. He was gonna become uh, another you know, religious leader. And everybody was like, wow, this guy's, he's like valedictorian of the religious leaders. Wow, look at this guy. He got the, you know, the, the special tassel. He got to give the big speech at the end of the ceremony. He was the guy. And at one point, as Jesus had already paid the price on the cross for all of our sin, died on the third day, raised to life, which is why Good Friday and Easter, that whole celebration coming up in a couple of months, awesome. 
But what happened was the movement continued when the disciples, the light finally came on and they went, he is the Messiah. He didn't stay dead. And then it says that Jesus ascends into heaven. And again, we can't imagine like that would be amazing. Some angels show up and go, hey, he ascended. Don't worry, he's coming back someday. And that's the idea of that second coming where we talk about a conquering king. But what did he say to the the disciples? You're gonna be my witnesses. You're gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're gonna go be my witnesses. But in the meantime, go and pray and, and watch what happens. And in the history of the first century church, what we have is a whole group of people that lived so much committed to the mission that they gave their lives for the sake of Christ. We've mentioned before that, that uh, the disciples ended up living as martyrs. They, every one of them, aside from Judas who betrayed him, gave their lives for their faith in Jesus. And John, who didn't die, but was boiled in oil through persecution and survived, which I can't imagine, was exiled to an island because they believed, you wanna know why I believe in who Jesus is. People go, well, maybe it's just a hoax. Maybe they just kind of said, hey, let's, let's go ahead and do this. I don't know a lot of people that would give their lives the way they did unless they really believed in who Jesus was. And so you have this whole first century group of people that, that gave it all. Peter, when he was killed, they, they tried to crucify him. And you know what he said? Do not crucify me this way. I'm not worthy to die like Jesus, turn me over. And so he was crucified upside down. So there's the disciples and there's this guy, Saul, who's excelled in becoming a leader of the the, the Pharisees, the sect of of, of Jewish religion. And Saul is commissioned to go out and have this group of people persecuted. And in the early church, there there was all of a sudden thousands of people that all of a sudden were becoming committed to faith in Jesus. And Saul sees what's going on and he's commissioned to go to different cities with paperwork and have people arrested and have people tortured and give approval of them dying. And so he does that. And at one point, in about the middle, early middle of the book of Acts, it says that he's on the road to Damascus. And some of you already know this. Saul's on the road to Damascus, and this bright light shines around him and the whole group he was with, and they all fell to the ground terrified. And he heard a voice from heaven, and and he said, well, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And so you need to knock this stuff off. Basically, that's an NIV, Nick inspired version. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's kind of how it goes. And then he says, you're gonna be blind. You're gonna be led into the city. Somebody's gonna pray for you. You're gonna receive your sight. And later on, we learned that part of what happened was he was told how much he would suffer for the name of Jesus. So here's this guy, Saul. His name is changed to Paul. So we talk a lot about the apostle Paul. That's him, okay? So a little church history there if you didn't know that. Paul is so passionate having encountered Christ and been filled so much with the Holy Spirit that all of a sudden he sets aside all of the training he had. He sets aside at that point for him every relationship of the Pharisees and, and, and all of the Jews and is like, look, I'm living for this mission. People need to understand that this Jesus thing is the real deal. And he even at one point says, all the things I've learned, all the accolades all I've received, all of the bragging rights I have about my birthright as a Jew, all of that stuff I consider, anybody know the word? Garbage, refuse, trash, rubbish. It's all worth nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus and making him known. And so Paul becomes this guy who is so passionately sold out. He's totally surrendered that, man, he goes out and he's helping establish churches and, and he's, he's helping raise up groups of people all, we've kind of said, all around the Mediterranean back in that day. And it's amazing to see the impact that Paul had at that point. Why do I bring all this up? Because Paul echoes the sentiment of Jesus. 
Whoever wants to be my disciple. And Paul's like, well, that's me now. Okay, you must take it. You must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And Paul's like, you got it. Some of my, my favorite words that Paul wrote are Philippians 1, 20 and 21. And I've, I've mentioned these before. So some of you are gonna, I've heard those many times. But he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I'll have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by death or by life. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. At that point, Paul had nothing to lose. Why? Because everything he had, everything that was built up around him, all the accolades and stuff he received is garbage. Why do I say it that way? Because Paul, having known the words of Jesus, having encountered Christ in such an amazing way and changed from that moment, is like, I'm dying to self. I'm willing to take up my cross daily and follow the Messiah. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says it in all kinds of ways. Um, that, that right there was Philippians. Again, he's writing from jail to this church he cares about in Philippi. And that's chapter one, verses 20 and 21. If you go to Galatians, Galatians is a letter written to the churches in the region of Galatia. Go back in your, you go back in your Bible. If you have one and look at the maps in back, you'll find one of them that talks about Paul and where he went. Galatians is a region, okay? The Northeast side of the Mediterranean Sea. And he wrote a letter to that, those churches as well. And in Gal we call it Galatians 2.20 because we added numbers so that we could all find these places when we meet together like this. They didn't used to have numbers when he wrote this letter. But in Galatians 2.20, it says this, I have been crucified with Christ. So I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Same idea. Paul talked about over and over this idea of dying to self of dying to the flesh, of dying to sinful patterns. So, so let, me, let me, again, I'm trying to work this progression here in this conversation. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me daily. Paul said, you got it, I'm gonna do that. And he talks about, I've been crucified with Christ. It's not me anymore, it's Jesus living through me. That's all that matters. And then he says, if you're taking notes, you can write down this, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 4.16, he says, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Why do I keep using this word progression? Because Jesus said, if you wanna follow me, take up your cross daily and follow me. Paul said, you got it, I'm gonna do that. And then Paul said to the disciples, listen, if, if, if I'm doing it and Jesus said we should do it, I wanna challenge you to do it as well. And Paul isn't just talking to the church forever ago. Paul is talking to you and to me about the life we're called to live if we really are disciples. It's not just scrolling through the comments he made in red letters in a Bible. It's not just clicking like on some spiritual thing online. It's not just like making a comment and some, some random thing. It's filtering our lives through this world of surrender that we're called to be in against this world, the worldly patterns that fight us all the time. Are you as a disciple living in surrender? That's the question. It echoes what Jesus said. Paul echoes what Jesus said. Take up your cross and follow me. To be a disciple starts with surrender. To be a disciple 
starts with surrender. It requires the abandonment of our own way. If you look up the word surrender in probably any random dictionary, you're gonna find a phrase something like this, to cease resistance to an opponent and submit to their authority. Surrender. When you and I live in our own patterns of, of kind of worldliness or choose our own way, we're actually called an enemy of the cross. So when you look up the word surrender and it says opponent, there's a point where if we're not willing to surrender, we're an opponent of Jesus. And so it's that idea of cease resistance and submit to their authority. Like I said, we, we wanna check a box. We wanna feel good, we want the good things. But it goes so much deeper than that. See, if you go back to what, what Jesus had to say, he says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? In Western culture, in American society in particular, the most prosperous nation in the history of the world so far. You hear conversations all the time about, about you know, more and more, about more income, about more we, the more we can make and this idea of, 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 you know, life being this identity in, wow, I make, you know, six figures and we go, wow, if I can really arrive, we can get to seven. But you realize in the world we live in, the idea of seven figures isn't a big deal anymore. It doesn't take a whole lot to become a millionaire. I know that could seem a little weird or whatever you're saying. I'm not a millionaire. But anyway, it doesn't take nearly as much to be a millionaire today. And so nowadays, instead of people talking about seven figures, you hear eight figures, nine figures, 10 figures, the richest person in the world. Who is it? And what are they worth? Anyone? Bueller. Between some of the princes in Saudi Arabia and individuals that invested in some, some foreign government opportunities and a couple of Americans it's anywhere between what, 82 billion and 148 million, billion? You know how much money that is? There are people in our world that can apparently buy countries if they wanted to. Go anywhere they want, do whatever they want. They're sending their friends to the, the space nowadays. Like, hey, you wanna go? Sure, I'll fit the bill. But we all are very aware that it's not all about that. And yet, we find ourselves wrapped up in this idea of the more and more and more we can sort of get, the more we can sort of have, the bigger and the better all the time. And we find our identity in that. And that's a problem. Jesus says, look, life, doesn't, life isn't all about all you can gather. Whoever, you, know, you can gain the whole world, but, but forfeit your own soul. And that's this rat race that we can live in all the time instead of considering what it looks like to live beyond ourselves, to serve others, to look at ways to be generous. It's a message I gave a while back about when Jesus talks about the eyes are the lamp of the body. Because of the eyes being bright. He's not talking about like glow, wow, you got pretty eyes. He's literally talking about the idea of looking out at our world about how can I be generous? What does it look like for me to live generously? When, when you look at the whole of this conversation, I mentioned that it starts with surrender, but, but it also continues with surrender. Remember, Jesus didn't say, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. 
He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross. Anyone? Daily. You know why that's important? Because I'm pretty sure there are people in this room that have prayed all kinds of great prayers on some random Sunday, and then by Monday took their lives back into their own hands. Anybody else familiar with this besides me? It's amazing to me that you can be like, man, you get up on a, on a Monday or you get up on January 1 and you're like, man, Lord, this is the, a new year and I give it to you and things are gonna be different and I can't wait, I surrender it and I can't, I'm gonna work on the health journey and all this stuff. And by noon, we're like, I'll take a double quarter pounder and can you add extra cheese and can I get one with bacon on it and supersize the fry, and, uh, but I'll get a Diet Coke because you know, self-control. <laughs> and some of you are like, you saw what I ordered yesterday, okay? But anyway, isn't it amazing though how at one point we can be like, God, it's all yours. And again, whatever example you wanna give it, but we can say, God, I offer you the anxiety I feel over this situation and I just need you. And it's so fun sometimes in those moments where there's a peace that comes over you and you're good. And then a couple hours later, you're, you're frantically searching WebMD and trying to figure this thing out and you're reading like the whole world is ending and I'm gonna die and this is it. We have this weird ability to say, God, I'm yours. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you at some point in your life have prayed a prayer inviting Jesus in and you surrendered? Just raise your hands. You prayed that prayer, okay? Most of us, okay? Now, how many of you are familiar with this? That was not a one-time prayer. Right. It's amazing how, in essence, Jesus is saying, why don't you make this a daily thing? Why don't you surrender? It's not about getting saved every day or starting over every single day as some new believer, but it's understanding that when Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, then you need to think through what you're learning, which produces who you're becoming, and are you changing? Because to live in surrender is to experience that kind of transformation on a regular basis. It's a daily exercise, and for some of us, it's literally moment by moment. Surrender. Sure, it's, it's a decision you make one time and go, Jesus, come on in. Forgive me of the sin. Be the Savior. I need you more than anything. And that's an incredible prayer, and we all need that prayer. But the irony of it is for some of us that have been in Christ for a while, it's like, yeah, that's, that's that daily prayer. God, I surrender every day, Lord, please. It is endless. And it is why Jesus would, would challenge us with that word daily. Let me ask you a couple of questions. If it's a daily or it's, an, it's a moment by moment choice, let me, let me just ask you a couple of things. Are you a disciple? Just think about it. It's easy, oh sure. Is your life marked by a pattern of surrender to Jesus? Do you make daily decisions to give up your agenda for what you believe God wants for you? Here's a little more specific. Think about this. What is a recent decision that you've made to surrender what you wanted for what God wanted? What is a recent decision that you made to surrender what you wanted for what God wanted? Can you say, I die daily, knowing that you mean what you're saying. 
want you to repeat after me. Just say, I die daily. Okay, that's pretty quiet. Why don't everybody join in? Everybody say, I die daily. Now let me ask you a question. Did you just lie to me? Paul says, I die daily. Jesus says, deny ourselves, take up our cross daily. And when it comes to you and I being disciples, one of the great detriments sometimes of the church as a people is that it's easy to say, it's easy to sing, but it's challenging to live. But that's what we're called to. How do we become more like the one we say we're following? That's the point. Am I living in surrender? Am I in that place of dying daily? See, as you continue to read the scriptures and read what Paul had to write to the churches over and over and over, he's going to talk about surrendering self, about this battle between the flesh in us that wants what we want and the spirit inside of us going, walk away from that, you're dead to it. And so part of the beauty, please understand this, part of the beauty of the picture of you and I saying, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a disciple, I'm a Christian, is that we may not get it right every day. But what I love is that his grace is poured out, his mercy is extended. That look, you might've blown it yesterday. You might be sitting here today and you'd be embarrassed if I knew where you were at last night. Thursday night, something happened last week. We put it on the screen, you'd be like, that's not me, that's not me. One of the things that, that I'll never forget having raised kids and we got, you know, four kids and then the oldest now is 19. She moved out and left us and stuff. Anyway, um, <laughs> no, but when, when, again, you teach your kids to ride a bike and I remember teaching each of our kids to ride a bike and I remember with Em, because she was the first one we taught, I taught, you know, you, you get them on the bike, right? And you're telling them you gotta pedal with the steering and you gotta you figure it out and you're kind of pushing them along and at some point you kind of let go and what happens most of the time? Most of the time, the first, they fall over and ouch and they skin their knee or whatever. And, and you know this, and I've, I've shared this before. When that happens, you're like, you dummy. What, what a failure. No, as a father, that is not what you do. What do you do? You get up, come on, you got this, come here, give me a hug, I'm sorry. Oh, you skinned up your knee, a little Bactine, a little Band-Aid or whatever, and you, know, you come on. But what you say is, come on, you got this. You gotta get back on. You gotta pedal, don't forget to pedal. You gotta steer, don't forget to steer. And little by little in those moments, what do they do? They learn. And I need you to understand that the heart of our heavenly father is not that as you blow it, God's like, you failure. You are not worthy. Secret, we never were worthy. Beautiful picture. God's grace says, come on, you got this. Picks us back up, dusts our buns off a little bit, gets us back on the bike and goes, come on. See, to be a disciple isn't that we don't fail. It's not an excuse to fail. But it's that as you and I walk this crazy journey and we get pulled into the dumb things we end up doing, God's grace is there. And the love he has for us is, come on, get up and let's keep going. And I share that because I desperately want, at least as much as, as, as I can help it or we can help it together, that we, we respond to the challenge of what does it mean for you and I to live in surrender? And that's really my prayer.
What does it look like? Lord, I wanna die daily. I wanna die to those things that pull me away from you. I wanna lean into those things that, that help me enhance my relationship with you and my love for the people around me. On one hand, that's the simplicity of it. But is that where you and I live? Jesus says, if you wanna be a disciple, mathetes, use the mental energy to think through what is it that I believe and how does it impact how I behave all the time? But it's daily and really moment by moment surrender. Father, thank you for your work in all of us. Thank you that, that being a disciple, it's, it's not meant to be a picture that it's so daunting, but it's realizing that you are challenging us to lay down ourselves. And then God, as we continue through this series, it really is a beautiful picture of living in a place of surrender that brings joy, that actually brings this sense of fulfillment, that, that, that actually rises us up to be what you've called us to be and not, not kind of the poser self, the person we're not called to be. And I pray you'd open our eyes. I pray you would open our hearts. I pray that God, things would begin to continue, or things would morph in us, God, that we transform and become more like Jesus. And God, we invite today your Holy Spirit to fill us, to open our eyes to those things that are hindering us or hurting us, God, that we walk away from those things that are tearing us down, destroying our relationships with you, but with others also. And God, I pray for fresh strength, a fresh move of your spirit in every one of our hearts that we're not just disciples, we're not just followers in the social media sense, God, that we just click and like and scroll, but that God, we really chew through what is it that you have to say as we look at scripture and we're challenged, God, to live that way because it is the best way. Help us, Father, to be disciples, not just say we're disciples in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.